Hello, listeners, and welcome to Feel and Film and this special episode of FF Plus. I'm your host, Aaron White, and I am very excited to be joined today by director Jamie Roberts. Jamie is a documentary filmmaker who you may know from 2021's critically acclaimed film, Four Hours at the Capitol, all about the January 6th insurrection at the U.S. Capitol. But Jamie's newest film, Escape from Kabul, just released on HBO and HBO Max this week. It tells the harrowing story of the United States' final withdrawal from the Kabul airport, effectively ending the war in Afghanistan in August 2021. In my opinion, it's a must-see. So we're going to talk about it. Jamie, thank you so much for making the time to chat. Aaron, thank you so much for having me on Feeling Film. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited. This is a film that I personally came to because I love documentaries, first and foremost, but I also have a military background. I was in the Navy for 15 and a half years, and so anytime a new movie pops up that is telling any sort of military-adjacent story, I feel like I've just got to consume it as quickly as possible. <laughs> and so I was really excited to find out what your perspective on this was going to be like. And I kind of want to start just at the beginning, though. From what I understand it, your career began in commercials. Is that right? Yeah. So I suppose um, in, so I'm based in London and in the UK, especially when I was starting, I suppose DSLRs had just kind of come out and the documentary industry was quite a closed shop. You know, there's a lot of Oxbridge graduates going in there. And whereas commercials was quite open, if you could edit, if you could shoot, you know, you were pretty much pulled in quite quickly. And a lot of it was quite technical. People, you know, the, the whole aim was to make things look good, sound good. There was a high production value. And so that was, that was my way in, I suppose. But really, I always wanted to get to a point where I could tell longer form stories and stories that I was really interested in. So which luckily, I feel like I, I am now and have been for the last few years. Yeah, I wanted to ask about that too. So what is it about these type of stories that draws you to them? I guess maybe specifically with Escape from Kabul, what is it that put that film or that story on your radar? Was it seeing it in the news and then you reached out and how did this come about exactly? Yeah, so the, it immediately came about when we were you know, we were finishing four hours at the Capitol and it was literally playing out on, on the television. You know, we were seeing the images of the C-17 and... Um, and the event unfold and I think instantly I was here in the office and Dan Reed and I were like we should we should do something about this let's speak to HBO let's see if they might be interested in the BBC you know it's an international story and I think especially now more than ever you are the news cycle is so fast you know that an event like that that's complex that has a long tail on it you know in this case 20 years even 200 years that Britain have been involved in in Afghanistan Afghan conflicts you know there's always more there's there's to be able to unpack what happened and understand it is is important and interesting and something that we take time to do. And I, I suppose before that, I actually made a film called War Child that, on the migrant route in 2016, 2017. So I spent maybe six, eight months up and down the migrant route with Afghans and Syrians when they were coming to Europe. So I'd filmed with quite a lot of Afghans then who had fled the war. So I'd always been interested in, you know, what's the source of this? Where were they coming from? Obviously reading a lot about it and consuming films, but actually being able to go to where these people were, were fleeing from and, and to actually understand the conflict they were fleeing from and the conditions that put them on such a perilous journey was something I'd always been interested in. So this kind of bisected these, these different kind of um, motivations, I suppose. Oh, that's great. Well, one of the challenging things about documentaries like the ones that you're trying to make is, is staying unbiased, right? I think that's always the goal is you want to try and not necessarily put your personal viewpoint out there. And I, I really love something you do in Escape from Kabul that elevates this, in my opinion. And that is 
the three kind of levels of interviews, and I want to talk a little bit about each group. You have the Taliban, you have Afghan citizens, and then you have the military. And when you put all of those three together, it gives you this robust picture of an event. doesn't feel one-sided at all. It feels like you get the heroism of it, but you also get the warts and the the awful situations that occurred. Probably the most fascinating and infuriating for me was the Taliban. And so I'm just, I'm amazed that you were able to get these interviews. It was difficult as a viewer watching some of these people gleefully laugh and joke and talk about how they would have these tactics to kill citizens or kill Americans and and use these terror uh, opportunities to further their cause. How did you get in the room and get these folks on camera? Like, what was that whole process like? Yeah, well, that that was we left we left for Kabul um, in January. We'd been held up because there wasn't many flights going in or out. It was difficult to basically get sign off. The logistics was hard, but we went out there on a on a bit of a wing and a prayer because we wanted to speak to people that had been trapped in Kabul, but we also felt that the Taliban were a really important part of the story. You know, they were one of the major forces. Like you say, there's three three level, three level layers of this story, and it's the, the international led by the US military, the Taliban, and the evacuees who either got stuck or they left. And one of the things that we hadn't really heard was the, the Taliban side of the story. Um, and it's... And, we thought that was important and just interested also to hear what these people would have to say, what their tactics were, how they felt when they were doing this. And because and, and understand that relationship with the Marines, because as I think um, Richard Eller, one of the Marines says in the film, you know, overnight almost they were, they were fighting with the Taliban. And the next day, all of a sudden, the order, come, order comes down to be working with them. And they're like, we're working with this unknown. These, these have been people who have killed my, you know, Richard Eller had been to Afghanistan in the past. had had Gunnar Callan. So they fought against the Taliban. This was almost a existential crisis moment, I think, in their minds. And they just kind of made made the best of it. So we wanted to to speak to these people because we see we see pictures of Taliban all the time. They're often quite distant. And so when we got to Kabul, I suppose one thing I learned quite quickly is they're not a unifying force. There was a decree that Taliban shouldn't speak to Western journalists unless they're proper spokespeople. But those kind of interviews you don't really get. They're like vanilla interviews. They're spokespeople interviews. We want the commanders who are on the ground and the fighters. So really, it was going to the locations where it happened, speaking to lots of Taliban on the ground, working through Talib networks. It's a bit like you know any social network or like the U.S. military. You speak to a Marine who works in Camp Lejeune, and you're probably like two or three people away from another <laughs> Marine who you might want to speak to. And that's pretty much right. It so it was like that. It's like you know they they communicate via WhatsApp. They will speak together, so you can. You can start to divine, like, okay, you should speak to that guy. He was there when the bomb went off and he commanded this unit. And so there was a few, like, there's a suicide unit commander, Asadullah Aga, in the film. And it took us about six weeks to kind of get him into the chair. And I think we've been through a few people to find him, but we kind of, when we found out, he'd, you know, he'd been at the airport, he'd worked there, but also he was this suicide unit commander, which for, I think, someone from the US or the UK is really hard concept to get around your in your head you know you're sending young men to death and you're planning that and gleeful about it when you're successful uh, i suppose i we were really interested in what that perspective looked like and, and what their strategy had been going into it so really it was lots lots of talks on very much ground level you know grunt level but also looking at the hierarchy of the taliban working out how they organize themselves and going to the leaders as well and if you could go sometimes if you could go to the up the chain and you end up having meetings drinking tea speaking over food then 
then you have conversation. And really the conversation would be, you know, this was a moment, you could see in their minds, this was a historic moment. They'd beaten the West, they'd beaten the US, they'd beaten Britain. That was, that was them winning. And so if you kind of say, well, look, you know, you obviously watch documentaries about war. This is, you've seen what, you know, we want to hear how you did this, what, what was going through your minds and hearts when, when it happened, because we're going to speak to the Americans and we're going to speak to the other people there and they're really important, but do you not want to put your, your truth across, I suppose. And, um, and some of them would ridicule you for that, but then some would be interested and understand where you're coming from. You know, they watch documentaries too. They have YouTube, they have cameras. So they're, they're kind of as much as some of their doctrine might be made medieval. They, they all have mobile phones and they watch documentaries and they understand the power of that and the influences had on them. So it's kind of all these things combined and lots of different approaches and a lot of time, but we did take a lot of care to get them into the chair because we thought if we're going to do a proper 360 on this story, you have to have them at the table. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's fast. Like I said, it's wonderful, fascinating and very unique approach that I think makes your film special. Honestly, that's, that's the the first and foremost thing that does make it that way. Did you have any fear? I've just got to ask. I mean, we hear stories of journalists who have been captured and, and tortured or killed and kidnapped and things of that nature in the media. It, was that ever on your mind or is this something that you are kind of so steadfast in the approach for that you just have to put that to the side and not think about it? Yeah, I think you obviously, we prepared. We had, it took a bit of time to get out there. So you're in preparation and I've been to some environments. You know, I did a film called The Jihadis Next Door where I bedded with a jihadi unit or a group of jihadis in London for almost two years. And a lot of them end up joining ISIS. One of them was involved in the London Bridge attack. So I've got, they're not the same, but there's there's some similarities there. So I suppose that kind of, um, that loads me a little bit with an understanding. But when we're there, I think we're very focused on just trying to work safely. You know, I was working with a colleague, Adnan Sawa, we'd plan out what we were doing. And we're always assessing the situation because it was very live on the ground. There were journalists getting arrested a lot. There was raids happening. You, you would have, you know, a ta- a talibs on a checkpoint who can't read or write and they, they might just pick someone up for the fun of it. And then it kind of goes south and bad things happen. And it was just, it was very volatile like that. It wasn't like there was just mad shooting everywhere, but it, there were people ending up in jail and you then become a kind of potential political asset. So we were just, I suppose it wasn't really fear, but we were very focused. And when there were times when it's like, let's just try and get out of this situation and move, move out of here. You know, it's like trying to get yourself out of a situation is often, oftentimes it's more, so it's more like concern that you're trying to keep control. But I did notice when I came back to London, there was, it was like a decompression. It was like, I don't think I realized how on, I was all the time and I got back yeah. and it was like, uh, you know, it was like, I enjoyed that's just a- going to the park and it was like, oh my God, this is like, I got used to it. Yeah. That's a very military feeling. I mean, having been someone who myself has deployed, that, that's what happens. You, you're gone for six months and you are, you're locked in, like this is your world. And when you come back to the, the real life and everything's chill and there's Starbucks on every corner and there's people playing in the parks and you're just like, it's, it's a bit of a adjustment period that you've got to come back from um so it's it's interesting you got to experience that that was definitely the feeling it was like you're just on all the time so you don't really think about fear it's just like all right what are we going to do now all right we're getting stopped what do we do now it's like a it's kind of a choose your own adventure novel you don't kind of (laughs) come back it kind of get a different perspective and it definitely it i can understand that feeling now of especially if you've gone for six months to a year it's like you come back and you're a bit of a foreigner in your own land and you start to appreciate Mm -hmm. you know london looked great (laughs) <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Way better than it did when you left. Um, you also got to interview, as you mentioned, some of the 
Afghan citizens. I actually wasn't fully picking up during the film that some of them were folks who did not get out. Did you have a mixture of interviews of citizens that did evacuate and ones that were left behind? Yes. Yeah, so in the film, Beheshta Taib and Muslim Hotak, they, they tried to get out, but then they failed. They ended up remaining there. And so they kind of live with that. I think Behesht is at the end saying, you know, this is the future we have now. We, She effectively talks to the fact that she's fairly young. She's like early 20s and she was very educated. She's a student, a business, young businesswoman. And now she doesn't know what's going to happen with her life. And then um, there was the other section that of the evacuees who did manage to get out. Um, and quite a few of those, we interviewed evacuees in the US and, and the UK. There, you know, there's obviously a continuation of the story you could do. I think we just wanted to kind of keep it focused in Kabul, but those people, you know, they're, they're very, they're so happy they got out and they managed to find a new life and survive. But at the same time, it's a whole new set of challenges when you land. It's like trying to, in the UK, especially trying to get into either education, learn the language if you don't know it, get housing, food, be in contact with your family. A lot of them still have families back in Afghanistan. You know, the people all over the world, it's very kind of complex situation but obviously i suppose when you burrow under the film really that's why with the last thoughts are left with those people with the afghans the civilians because it's it's them that didn't really sign up for this like the marines were put in an extremely difficult situation they made the best for it and then they left the taliban are in control but it's the the citizens who are the people that don't have any agency in this now they're either living under that situation or they've been forced out the country but their lives are completely changed yeah, some of the stories are heartbreaking to listen to. It's just, it's the the horrors of war. I mean, is is really all you can say is is that's what happens. And it was, I think, important for us to be able to to hear some of that stuff firsthand, like you were able to give it to us. What about the military? So, how did you go about getting your hands on access to the people who were on the ground? So the U.S. military is notorious for withholding information. I was honest to goodness shocked. I, I thought that a lot of this would be classified still. They were so forthcoming and even about mistakes that were made that cost lives. I just unbelievable to me that they would admit those things on camera. So I wonder what the process was like for you getting the access to that. Were there things that they would not allow you to cover? You don't have to tell me what they were, obviously. <laughs> you know, How did you get the drone footage and things of that nature? Yeah, so... We, you know, we initially went, we went straight to the U.S. Army, the U.S., the Marines. We, they're the kind of biggest stakeholders, I suppose. We also, we did, um, we negotiated access with the MOD in Britain, which we did get some of the footage from, but we didn't end up including them in the film. I mean, with the U.S. military, it was, the Mar they all said no initially. And then we kept on knocking on the door. And then with the Marines, we actually spoke to quite a lot of people who left. So they can speak, but we, we really, we wanted to try and get proper institutional access. We wanted them to, we wanted people to be able to speak. Um, we met an intermediary who we just, I suppose what we started to get was this groundswell that actually the Marines really did want to talk. They felt like they'd been put in a really impossible situation. They'd done great work. They were traumatized and upset by what happened out in Afghanistan. And they felt like the, you know, the event had happened, they come home and the news had just moved on and they were frustrated with that. And, um, Really, I don't know if it broke rank, but we heard behind, you know, behind the scenes that it was coming from the White House that access wasn't going to be allowed. But I think that the the Marines decided that 
I don't know. I don't really know how this happened, but it. But it, I think they decided that they just wanted to tell their stories, and I think that 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 force of will and they, you know, at the end of the day, they are the Marines, the U.S. Marines. You can't really tell them no sometimes because there's a lot of them, and <laughs> a lot, and they're the guys. They go out there, and that's right. All, all hell's breaking loose, and they're the guys who have to kind of deal with the chaos, and then the army turn up. You know, that's what I started. To, I learned a lot about the Marines when I was. That's doing exactly this. right. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So they're like they have this kind of fuck you attitude of like. Uh huh. I'm going to do this. And if I think it's right and it's fair and it's just, and we all agree, we're going to do it. And I think with, with telling their stories, it was a bit like once the access then opened, you know, we turned up on base and Richard Ella turned up and then major Jordan Edrington and Gunnar Callan, and, you know, they just came in it was like, wow, these guys, they're speaking so candidly, so honestly. And uh, it was, it was quite amazing. And it just felt like we're right on the inside of this story. Now this is where we want to be. And they didn't, I'm sure there's bits they personally omitted, but we spoke to Marines on the West Coast and the East Coast, all separate from each other. There was a, a Marine kind of intermediary present, but he never stepped in. He understood from the start. We said, look, you have no editorial control. We can't do that. That undermines the project, discredits it. People don't want to speak to something. That's fine. But we can't cut the film afterwards to serve, serve a different purpose other than the story we're telling. We did say you can, you know, factual accuracy. That is something that it's, it's fair and that's all been that's all been squared away everything was agreed that it was factually accurate but um but yeah in terms of the the marine stories they they sat down and just started kind of really recounting from the heart it felt like for the first time to an outsider maybe i think they'd done like an internal interviews for for record that was never going to be released they obviously spoke between themselves but there was a lot of um unprocessed uh emotions i think that was coming out and a lot of the interviews were very emotional or they were stoic but you could see there was just a brevity uh, like a, a heavy heaviness behind it and um and yeah i mean richard Della, maria solis i just thought their their testimony is incredible and just gives you a view that i certainly hadn't heard before yeah that definitely comes through in the film and i think you know your control over how you put these elements together as a filmmaker is so deft and tonally were you always intending for this to have an energy to it a a propulsiveness like it feels like a ticking clock movie i would almost compare it to being like a documentary version of black hawk down and part of that is you know what was going to happen like we were kind of we're starting at a point we know that in two and a half weeks it's going to be this ending but how did you approach the way in which you put your interviews and your footage together to really make the viewer feel that growing anxiety. Cause, cause I definitely did. And, and I think that that made the film more effective to me. Yeah. Well, um, it's, it's a good, it's a good observation because I think we, we really wanted to, this is such a dramatic story. And when you burrow down to it, it's like an action movie. And, you know, like Michael Moore says, don't make a documentary, make a movie. And it's, it's not trying to make things up, but it's just, you're structuring things that, are naturally dramatic and if you put them in the right order and tell them in the right way then they are dramatic and this was an extremely dramatic event i suppose what we really st- not struggled with but worked over was how do we how do we come into the film because you want to get into the action and the human drama quickly we don't could eat this kind of film could easily spill out into a long essay about the history of afghanistan and we're not trying to do that in this film we're trying to keep a very tight focus on you know here's two days before we land with these group of characters and then all hell breaks loose and this is how it's dealt with and we keep it we keep it very focused. The idea being that it was just such a huge chaotic event that you can't tell every story. That's a Wikipedia uh, entry. We want to kind of connect with these are the personal different forces at work and you're going to see it through the eyes of some specific characters. 
so really trying to trying to keep that urgency and that feeling of you know the the, the film's almost running away with you a bit like the situation was and we, we definitely wanted to have that i mean the film runs at it's about 80 minutes and we could have made we were we were doing it as a 90 before and we could have made it quite a bit longer but we really wanted you know we wanted it to be punchy and to just grab you and not let go also because i feel like there is with this subject sometimes it can be seen as quite worthy or people aren't necessarily so interested in it so we wanted something that was just accessible that's like it pulls you into the story and almost gives you the information when you need it rather than just giving you large blocks of explainer and i suppose with you mentioned before about kind of impartiality. There's a bit of this similar with uh, Four Hours at the Capitol where it's, it's not that we're not trying to say something with the film, but we want the audience to feel intelligent enough that they can kind of put these elements together and, and kind of make their understanding and reflection from that. And how we structured the film, the pace and the different contributors that are in it all, all goes towards that. By, by the end of the film, I think most people have the same conclusion but we're not trying to kind of use a presenter to batter it into their heads it's like you're you're engaging you're part of the film as, as an audience member yeah no that's i think that's absolutely the, the fact of what it is and what makes it such an incredible film is that not all filmmakers are able to execute that and i know from the two that i've seen these last two you have shown that you are and it makes me really excited about everything you're going to do in the future i'm gonna i, I i'm gonna continue to champion this film in particular uh, this year. I mean, I really do hope that it can catch on. It's tough when you don't have the marketing budget, I think, uh, you know, and you're, you're straight to a streamer. I guess it's probably a blessing and a curse, right? Because you just, you can get lost in the shuffle, but also you're accessible to everybody at the same time. What, what's your relationship with HBO like? Do you have a, a long-term deal with them of some kind? Well, we're kind of film to film, but uh, Amos Pictures, the production company I work have worked out the last few films we that's right they have a relationship with hbo um and i suppose four hours at the capital we made that we we, we strengthened the relation i strengthened my racial relationship with them and um i think i think we continue to do so i mean they are they are great and they do kind of back and support films about subjects that aren't going to be front page all the time but those are the films sometimes that end up being the most interesting areas or very interesting subjects so so they've been great i mean this was it was led by them and then bbc and arte have, have backed it as well and it, it, it but you're right it does these subjects or these films almost have to catch a little bit um i feel like four hours at the capital strangely when we made that we were making that some people commissioners were like why the hell are you making that we know what happened and then we were digging into it and it was like <laughs> oh, yeah you know, there's all this right? scene, all these different interesting people and then by the time it came out everyone was kind of hungry for it again. And obviously now there's the inquiry and the debate spins on and on and on. So sometimes it's just, I think you have to just, you know, it's the, let, be led by your instinct and HBO have great instincts. So they kind of see sometimes if you come with an idea or something, they, they quite often, they can see where you're coming from. And then I guess you just got to make it. And then, yeah, as you say, if, if people find an interest, you hope that's going to connect. If not, not. I'm, I'm hoping people find this interesting. I think, for especially for a US UK audience, I think I think the Marine perspective, the way they tell the story is is incredible. And the Taliban, I just haven't heard them like that before. And that obviously allows you then into the other stories of the evacuees and the situation in Afghanistan. So we wait to see how, how it's received, but um, you know, we've you just do your do your best, but HBO can couldn't do any more. They they are brilliant to work with. That's great. Well, last question. This is something I like to end all my interviews with because we are a podcast that tend to focus on our emotional reaction to movies and less so on 
all the technical specifics. What's a favorite movie of yours that you could recommend that that you something that evokes strong emotion in you? It could be any emotion you want to highlight, but just what's a what's a favorite movie of yours that really does make you personally feel something? That's a good question. I think <laughs> if you ask me this on any different day or any different hour, I'll probably have a different answer. But the one that usually, jumped, yeah, you know how it is. Absolutely, but the one that jumps out of my mind. I don't know if you ever seen a documentary called American Movie. It's it's brilliant. It's about must be about fifteen years old, uh, but it's about two friends in like Nowheresville, US. One is a wannabe filmmaker, and he's trying to make these ridiculous horror movies, and he gets his kind of acid casualty buddy to help him out, and then all this cast of mad characters, and it's it's a documentary. It's real, but you're basically going on this kind of mini hero's journey with this with this crazy guy who almost looks like a proto hipster before hipsters were real, but in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> caravan drinking way too much but it's just like it's it's almost like it's got all these incredible characters but underneath it it's this really touching film about friendship and also kind of obsessiveness to to create something it's about the creative process of how people get on board and they help this guy out and it's just this mad idea that he's got but they do it and they get taken to the cinema and it becomes real and it's a it's a very touching film and yeah i've always loved that film and uh, the only other one the other one i was going to say was hoop dreams which i won't go on oh about, but yeah fantastic. yeah yeah most people know hoop dreams hoop dreams is an all-timer for sure that doesn't surprise me at all as a documentarian yourself that that would be an inspiration <laughs> to you uh because it is yeah it's phenomenal so american movie you said it's called american movie yeah american movie it's it's very funny and it's very sweet and kind of uh quite melancholic as well but brilliant film and yeah who dreams just an amazing film that's political but through these two young men what you know what a great film awesome well thank you those are great recommendations and thank you for being here thanks for taking the time to chat with me i really appreciate it i am wishing you all the best in awards season and whatever your future endeavors hold i am like i said earlier i'm excited about whatever the next thing you make is as well. So I hope that you know, your next season in life is nothing but successful. Well, that's it for this episode of FF Plus. Hopefully you enjoyed my interview with Jamie Roberts. And if you have not seen his film Escape from Kabul yet, again, I highly recommend it. And I hope that this has inspired you to check it out as well as the rest of Jamie's filmography, which for everything that I've seen, I can definitely stand behind as a worthwhile recommendation. Thank you for listening. Share this out. Tell your friends. And if you're enjoying the podcast, drop us a five-star review. Follow us on social media. There's links to all that in the show notes of every episode. We will be back soon. Until then, keep watching and keep feeling filmed.